Valentino with us again today. What a gift. Oh my gosh. The gift that keeps on giving. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, Colton, I'm so happy to have you. I have fun with you guys. Oh, I don't I don't so know if you guys knew this, me. but like you guys are like, oh my gosh, like my friends. And it's like really oh. fun and cute to like spend time with you guys. Hot take. I don't know how often you get, but I really enjoy you two and your company. That's so oh, sweet. And it is it. a very hot take. Yeah, it is a hot take. Can we use that on like a marketing slide? Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. But you have to include <laughs> the following quote. Uh, Chelsea and Ellie are awesome. Fuck that Miles Luna guy. That guy's a weirdo. Yeah. No, I hate that guy. I what was a about, weirdo. I, get it. I was about to say that, uh, you know, we can use it in marketing, but he didn't specifically say that he liked us on the show. He might have just been talking <laughs> about, I enjoy your friendship as like two people. But I think we could say like, friends love us in real life. Wait till you hear us, you know, riff about pop culture and history. Nice. So it becomes kind of this like anti-marketing. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, yeah, you might be friends with us, but wait till you hear us talk. <laughs> No, it'll be like, hey, no one's ever done this before, but we're two friends who decided that the way that we talk to each other is really interesting, and we decided to go public with it. Oh, we're so fun and funny. Yeah, because we're like, actually so fun. We should make a plot curse. Chelsea, how has your week been, though, to be honest? <laughs> if I can be so honest. <laughs> Please be. So a friend of mine is moving, which is like something historically that Gross. I do very, very well with. And... <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so she's moving to Philadelphia next month. Ew. Or this month, I guess, because now it's it's May. So it is this month that it's happening. So this weekend, she wanted me and another friend, former podcast guest Alex Perez, to all hang out in Dallas. But I couldn't because I had to host a baby shower, which is another thing that I'm like wildly unqualified to do. But for some reason, somebody asked me to do. But the baby shower got canceled because there was torrential rain in Austin. And then I was like at like four, no at like 5pm I was like I'm coming and I like drove to, to Dallas last night on like a whim no and we went out in Dallas and it was very fun we were out until like 5am we accidentally went to like the murder capital of Dallas oh cool and that's not even an exaggeration <laughs> it sounds like a very fun weekend it was yeah well so yeah we were up really late and then I drove home like around 11 and then Connor was like do you want to help me clean and I was like absolutely and then I fell asleep <laughs> and I woke up 15 minutes ago well you're nice. an absolute trooper. It's me. I'm here. I'm incredible. One more thing I want to tell you about this. I'm incredible. I'm incredible. I'm just simply incredible. The one more thing that I want to tell you about this place that we went that is Please a do. murder hotspot is that if you Google the name of it, you know, on the side, Google has like its little like information tab and it has like selected reviews that it will just like yeah. show. And the selected reviews, and this is not a joke, it says, first review, five stars. Went to this place with my wife on our once a year outing. We had a blast. And then second review. Once a year? Once a year outing, we had a blast. <laughs> one And then second uh, review, one star. The paid staff murdered someone in the parking lot while I was there. Wow. <laughs> so many Google reviews. Oh. The reaction to that is everything. <laughs> Which, like... God bless America. <laughs> it reminds me. So it's like, because then you like average us 
together and you're like, wow, this is like a three star place. Well, I think we can. Sounds I like a medium place. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like. <laughs> There's acceptance and murder. Yeah. Do you want to hear five fun fast facts? I yes. would die to hear five fun fast facts. So I went a little overboard and these are five fun fast animal facts. Animals. I, I love know. this. I love a theme. Because animals are better than all of us and now you know more about them. All you will in like 0.3 minutes. Anyway, so number one, a snail can sleep for three years at a time. What? Uh, oh my God, I'm, I'm jealous. Snail oh. <laughs> 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 can sleep for three years. There are one million ants. This is number two. There are one million ants for every human in the world. Really? Interesting. Yes. There are one million ants for every human in the world. Ants are so small. There's so many of them. I think They're I so could strong. fit a million ants on me, like like gun to my head. I think I could do that. Really? Oh, like yeah. in terms of like in terms of Chelsea surface area, you think that one Chelsea surface area is one million ants? No, but I'm thinking like if I had to, I could I could pack a million on. I don't understand how both. But like if I had no, I'm just saying like if I had to, I could absolutely do that. So you're saying like yeah, like definitely no, but also if you had to personally, you could fit a million ants. I on am offended that you think that I. I'm so big that a million ants could like easily fit on me but I'm interested but... in the disconnect between between the fact that there are a million ants for every human in the world and also that you think that you could or could not hold a million ants in your person. I'm saying that I'm too small for a million ants to choose to like walk uh... upon me and be like this is our new home now this is great. <laughs> okay. New, okay. Fr- free so real if- estate. But this land is my land. This land is your land. Alternatively, if somebody was like, get a million ants on you right now, or we'll throw Connor in a river. He hates that. And so I okay. would I would simply <laughs> get a million ants on me no matter what it took. And I think I could do it. You know, what's especially smart about that is if Connor gets thrown into a river and you're covered particularly with red ants, mm-hmm. then the red ants, you can dive in after him and the red ants can create sort of a floating raft <gasps> for you so that you'll, you'll become hydrophobic and then you can jump in and save Connor. Consider the free ants, the free raft. I do love a free raft. I would be giving that raft to Connor like Titanic style. Oh, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Oh, it's back in the Titanic <laughs> podcast, just so you guys didn't know. Okay, number three, a pig's orgasm lasts 30 minutes. Fun fact, I, have I knew heard, that one. I've heard that one. Oh, no. You Golden. guys are too horny for my animal facts. <laughs> Okay, then, so number four, animals with smaller bodies and faster metabolism, such as chipmunks and squirrels, see in slow motion. Wow. Wait. I want that. Say that one more time. Animals with smaller bodies and faster metabolisms, like chipmunks and squirrels, see in slow motion. It's true. The way that we perceive time as according to our size and our brains is different. So chipmunks and squirrels and such the like see in slow motion. That's wild to me. And it makes me wonder if cats do as well because like you know you can like drop a cat yes. like an inch from the ground and it will still land on its feet and it'll it's just do like, that little how? special twist yeah yeah it's so just little, like this like, is wild and here's my favorite number five animal fact the now extinct colossal penguin stood as tall as 2.03 meters which is as tall as the basketball legend lebron james oh my goodness the colossal penguin was as tall as lebron as lebron 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 james 
but John could the Graves. penguin dunk? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm. I want to say like I'm like 94 percent sure that it could not dunk. But if it could, watch out, NBA. I think Space Jam sequel is about fading uh facing off against penguins now looney tunes versus penguins well first of all there's oh no rule God. in the nba rule book that says that a penguin can't play basketball however True. i think there might be a god's rule about it because i don't think that i've never seen a penguin lift its wings over its head so but how would know. it how would it dump penguins all the way down <gasps> it's penguins all the way down thank you colton it's penguins all the way down folks uh those are my five fun fast facts Chelsea, yeah. what's the name of your topic? Okay, so this is fun. The name of my topic is, well, first of all, I think we should talk about our topics like origins, like topics. Oh, yes, yes, origins. yes, 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 yes. Yes, Colton, you've jumped in on a very special episode. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm I'm getting my popcorn right. In fact, you know what you guys have? I have right here in front of me. Is it popcorn? I found it at the grocery store yesterday. I found these, fro- you know, like those otter pops, like those like sort of like little uh little frozen no, but juice I'm excited pops that you can it. like squeeze out the little tubes and have your little, your sweet little frozen okay, treat. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got alcoholic yeah. ones of those right now. So I have a strawberry margarita one I'm about crack open here. Oh, that rules. We found some of those. You talking about where there's like a little tube. Yeah, like a little tube. Um, yeah, we got some of those. You're going to pop one of those while you learn about some stuff? Oh, yeah. I'm going to pop a frozen strawberry uh, margarita while I learn about some stuff. That's fucking awesome. So as you guys know, because we talk about it a lot and we talk about it at the end of episodes and sometimes sprinkled throughout episodes, we have a Patreon. We record live with our patrons every Sunday, which is what we're literally doing right now. Right now. But maybe a lesser known thing, because it hasn't happened on the show yet, but it's very exciting, is that if you're our highest tier of patron, then you get to submit topics that you might want covered on the show. And we have one very patient patron who has sent some topics. Very patient. Thank you so much for bearing with us. <laughs> yes. And also giving us money while being very patient. It's a it's a really cool yeah. combination of traits uh, that I enjoy trait. a lot. It's a really great combo. So they sent along some topics and we decided we liked their like spread so much that we decided for this episode, we were both going to do a topic from the selected list. So with that in mind, the title of my topic, it's not, it's not really like a, like a riddle. So the name of it just is the name of this thing. And if you know, you know, and if you don't, it's going to sound like a title that is a riddle, if that makes sense. The name of my title is the Montreal screw job. Do you know the what that Montreal is? Montreal screw job? Yeah, do you know what that is? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> Let me. Since so fun about this is like that's just the name of it. <laughs> like that is going to be the thing that I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, I have a similar vibe. Okay. So, let me fathom the Montreal screw job. Is it about a heist gone wrong? You know what? Kai, something <laughs> is stolen in this story. Cuz I feel like screw job is kind of, like that's that's what it means, right? Screw job is actually like a little bit more Maybe not literal, but like it's a job where someone gets screwed. Right. Canadian screwdrivers? I'm sorry. (laughs) The Montreal screw job. The Montreal screw job. Yeah. Is that like the Italian job, but like with hardware store robberies? See, that's what I said. Like like someone fucked up a I will say hardware stores do not come into it. Is it about some kind of like serial offender or criminal or criminal group in Montreal? Or is it like (laughs) bigger than that? Uh, No, they're not. I mean, well, 
Because I'm thinking about like some kind of mafia activity in Montreal. I'm sure they like to think of themselves like the mafia, but no. My theory on what your thing is about is um, so in Louisville, Kentucky, there's a giant Louisville slugger baseball bat. I've seen it with my own two eyeballs. It's a giant baseball bat. It's massive. I fell in love with it. Is it about a giant baseball bat, Chelsea? I was thinking it's about a giant screw. Oh, that would be so sick. The world's biggest screw. (laughs) The world's biggest screw is it that it would also be no but like can we just talk about like the raw power of like a patron being like attention jesters i have given you my money for many months and you will now speak of a screw it is my favorite my favorite screw i will hear of you talk of my screw and make funny riffs and jests about this screw and you will do it and we would have but no that's not what it's about that's a really good impression of your your viewer Possibly. Who's to say? (laughs) I mean, they really could tell. Would you like to hear my title? Yeah. My title is The 25th Universe. What? Yeah. Is this some Doctor Who stuff? Easy. It's about episode 25 of season one of Steven Universe. Oh my God. No, it's not about Steven. No, no. That's a lot of episodes. No, it's not about episodes of anything. Oh. I know. Uh, the 25th Universe. <laughs> this might be too on the nose, but is it like parallel dimensions? No, no. It's, mm. not, about, it's not about parallel dimensions. Mm. Mm. The 25th Universe. Does it have to do with science? See, that sounded kind of like Doctor Who. The little song you sang. It does have to do with science and not not in a Doctor Who way. Not in like a (laughs) whimsy way. It's real science. It's real science? Yeah. (laughs) Hashtag real science. TM. Mm. (laughs) Okay, is it about like time travel? No. No, it's not. Well, fuck. I know. Is it about things? Okay, wait, wait. This is my last guess. And it's kind of riffing off of one of your five fun fast facts. It's about things that are like very small. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Hell yeah. It's wow. about very small things. It's about very small things. Can you guess what kind of very small things, though? Probably not animals. Ants. Ants. <laughs> ants is good. It's an ants. ants. to me of the 25th universe. So, as we already discussed, this was uh, suggested to us by one of our Patreons. It's a really fucking awesome topic, so I'm so glad that you did suggest it. The 25th universe. And it has a little tagline, the behavioral sink. The behavioral sink. The behavioral sink. I'm scared. Chelsea, what does utopia look like for a mouse? For a mouse? For a mouse. Okay. For a second, I thought you said miles, and I was like, easy nerd shit. But... (laughs) It's no. uh, simply nerds for a mouse. It's mamba free. Uh, yeah, correct. It's probably got tall grass and. <laughs> okay. And here's a question: Do mice actually like cheese, or is this like a stereotype that is like problematic in 2021? It's not a part of this that I'm going to talk about, so I don't know. <laughs> You're like, we'll find out at the end what answer that gives you. <laughs> I mean, Wait. if mice like cheese, could mice in nature ever make cheese? No, they can't make cheese. What do you mean make cheese? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe mice were nature. Cheese crafters, well, like, maybe humanity learned about cheese. A little bit of, little bit of cow milk and figure it out. No, yeah, they, maybe, they just, you know. maybe they just like skimmed the curds off the top. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it used to know. be a symbiotic okay. relationship with mice. Well, okay, okay, all right. You asked the absolute wrong people this like theoretical I know. question. If you weren't you guys, you might imagine <laughs> that 
that the utopia for a mouse would be limitless food, lots of different levels, and little secluded rodent con, like a little house, like a little condo. A little rodent condo made of cheddar cheese. As a mouse, what can you imagine is as good as that? Nothing, right? There's nothing better than that. Endless food, levels that you can run up and down, be a little mouse, and you have your own little mouse flat, mouse condo. Now it's cute. Now I want it. Right. So enter John Calhoun. This is the guy that we're going to be talking about for most of today. His whole purpose as a scientist was to study the effects of population density on behavior. And he used mice to do that. So he created these rat and mouse utopias or paradises from our perspective. And he witnessed how they quickly spiraled into out-of-control overcrowding, population collapse, and sinister behavior patterns. Essentially, the mice were not nice. The mice were not nice. (laughs) The mice were not nice. They were not nice. So we're not dealing with like Remy from Ratatouille. Although I guess Ratatouille, those were rats. So look at me. Yeah, we have this like Pixar idea of like the perfect mouse city. Like imagine. (laughs) Yeah, we all have. We all have that. (laughs) I mean, we can immediately. Right. We can take every Pixar film that we've ever seen. We can smush that into our brain 100% immediately like a cheese grater. And we can imagine what a mouse, like a perfect mouse utopia would look like. Right. Right. Yes. We're on on board with this. Thank you. Every night as I Asleep. <laughs> right. So John Calhoun is like, I guess, of the same school of thought. And he began his experimental research on rodents in 1947 when he studied an enclosed group of Norway rats at a barn in Rockville, Maryland. Supplying them with unlimited food and water, he expected to see the population swell to 5,000 mice, mice over the course of the 28-month experiment. But what he actually saw was the population kept out at about 200 after subdividing into smaller groups, oh. each of which comprised about a dozen individuals. Wait, so my- mice were segregating themselves? They segregated themselves, yeah. That's and scary. And this was confusing to him. So he continued his studies during the 1950s, and he set up a more complex enclosure to examine how further groups of rodents would behave in like very sterilized, predator-free kind of environments. And over the course of the experiments, the same sequence of events would transpire every single time. So the mice would meet, mate, breed in large quantities, as you would expect. But then this eventual leveling off would occur. And then after that, they would develop like hostile, antisocial behaviors, which eventually would lead to extinction every single time. So, so he looked into this. 1962, the Scientific American publication published Calhoun's observations from his research in the article Population Density and Social Pathology, where he coined the phrase behavioral sink or behavior sink to describe the results of overcrowding in each one of his experiments. Basically, what he ended up experimenting or like looking into and forming research around was the breakdown of social functions in the result of overpopulation. And at the time that he was doing this, it was right when urban expansion was like starting to be a real thing. So we're talking about the 1960s, the 1970s, where it was the first time where people were like flocking to urban centers and urban cities to like go to university, for example. So places were becoming much more heavily populated than they ever had been before, especially in American culture. So his work 
was hitting the public just as vast urban expansion saw growing numbers of college grads flocking to big cities for work. And many viewed his works as this warning of what could happen to the human race if populations continued to rise at their current rate, Mm -hmm. which is like, yeah. It was a whole thing at the time. So Universe 25, let me bring this in. Let me tell you about yes. that. So expanding on his earlier studies that he'd had with a bunch of mice, Calhoun devised his ultimate research experiment. In Universe 25, a population of mice would grow within a 2.7 square meter enclosure, which is probably about like six feet squared, probably. Okay. And that had four pens, which had 256 living compartments and 16 burrows that led to food and water supplies. He Essentially, he set up this whole social dynamic in which mice could live in a plague-free environment that had plentitude of comforts, a lack of predation, an unlimited supply of consumables. It was this idea of a mouse-utopia. Well, sign me up. A mouse-topia, if you will. A mouse-topia, if oh you gosh. will. And I will. And this was his 25th experiment, which is why it was called Universe 25. His, so it was his 25th experiment. Did he experiment on other mice? mice or creatures before? Was this the 25th batch of mice? This was the 25th batch of this idea. Yeah. Okay. Of Universe 25. And the idea was that the mice would enjoy all the luxuries equivalent to what a modern human life equates to, right? Like we can get whatever food we want in an instant. Food and water is not an issue for us. Neither is play, usually. We have our plentitude of comfort. So the idea was to create an environment for mice that was kind of like a human life and see what happened to the mice. So he initiated the experiment with four pairs of healthy mice, which were set loose into the enclosure to begin the society. And during the first 100-ish, like maybe you know, just past 100 days, there was a phase that he dubbed the strive period, which is when the mice adjusted to their new surroundings, they marked their territory, they began nesting. Normal mice behavior, right? And then this was followed by the exploit period, which saw the population double every 55 days. I'm sorry, this is maybe off topic. How long is the gestation period on mice? Like, how My thoughts exactly, Colton. Yeah, like... 20 days, 24 days. Damn. Yeah, less than a month. So these guys are just like popping them out. No props. So by the 315th day, Universe 25 contained 620 mice. By by what day? 315th. So not even a year. (laughs) Not even a year. We had 620 mice living in Universe 25. Okay, it might just be because I'm incredibly hungover, but that sure. makes me a little ill. That's just like, that, yeah. now see, I could not simply fit all of those mice on my body. Even if- <laughs> I could not simply mouse. Even if they were going to throw Connor in a river. I know. And they yeah. could. And they could. And yeah. They're really strong. So despite this insane abundance of, of mice, each compartment could technically house 15. So then the overall enclosure was actually built for the capacity of 3,000 mice, which is a lot of mice. But it- it turned out that most mice were crowding select areas and eating from the same food sources and the act of eating came to be viewed as a communal activity which caused most of the mice to favor the same few compartments so there was this weird kind of social thing going on and this led to a drop in mating and soon the birth rate fell to a third of its former level and this kind of social imbalance took place along the mice so one third emerged as socially dominant the other two thirds turned out less socially adept to their forebearers and and you know Verse 25 went into this slow but ultimately irreversible decline. 
essentially what he found out was that no matter what he tried, if you give a, a species everything that they need, they end up killing each other. Oh God. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just like doesn't work out that way. And of course that has like huge meanings over like human populations and this is what the whole point was. But I mean, eventually mice as humans thrive on a sense of identity and purpose within the world of large and tension, stress, anxiety, and the need to survive make it necessary to engage in society. And this is true for mice as well. So essentially he experienced that mice have the same paradox of a life without work or conflict that humans experience. And when all sense of necessity is stripped from the life of an individual, life ceases to have purpose. And then either the individual dies in spirit or becomes violent and everyone kills each other. <laughs> Hell yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so this work tapped into the era's feeling of dread that crowded urban areas heralded the risk of this kind of moral decay, this kind of growing idea of like, well, actually human life is inherently evil and we're all gonna, if we are left to our own devices, hurt each other, kill each other, do what mice are gonna do, which is eventually break down our society and murder each other if we're left to do our own devices if we get everything we want. What year was this at this point? Do you- the late 1960s. Okay, well, yeah, that makes sense too because like around that yeah, time- Yeah, you got the like, Vietnam War. Yeah, and that's when the crime old- waves started, like the, the, the serial killer sprees of the 70s and stuff. Yeah, goodness yeah, gracious. Yeah, that people are like, oh, so we're just like mm, we're terrible fucked. people. Like, yeah, this is awful. <laughs> yeah, it was super fucked. Calhoun later opined that mice, just as humans, thrive on the sense of identity and purpose within the world at large. And he argued that experiences like tension, stress, and anxiety, and the need to survive make it necessary to engage in society. And this was like massively new work for his time. They even tried like moving the mice out of Universe 25 after it was made. And the relocated mice showed no signs of change from their earlier behavioral patterns, refusing to mate or even interact amongst their new peers. The reclusive mice eventually died of natural causes and the fledgling society folded without a single new birth. There was just like insane science that supported like if you <laughs> if you give a species everything that they're looking for, they will will find a way to murder themselves. Life finds a way to just fuck it all up. Oh my god. Saying if you give a mouse a cookie? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Real talk, I didn't have anywhere for that joke to go, but it just felt right in the moment. It's like- Give a mouse a cookie. You're gonna keep mice like like in, you know, bread and circuses and they're going to just absolutely go ham. Yeah. And destroy everything. Well, this feels like something that a character on The Walking Dead would like explain while like looking Mm -hmm. out at like a sea of zombies and be like, eh, you know. Well, you guys have heard of this, you know. (laughs) So there have been numerous modern interpretations of Calhoun's work. This incredible researcher and scientist, Inglis Arkell, explains that the habitats that John Calhoun created weren't really, like, overcrowded. She writes that instead of a population problem, one could argue that Universe 25 had this fair distribution problem. Um, If everyone is given the exact same opportunity, but arguably born with different strengths like you know a random batch of research mice would be mm-hmm. that that is the source of the problem rather than this population problem but that, that's super up in it who knows yeah that sounds like some like weird anti-communist like and just be like yeah and they're like and clearly and then this is like i can imagine somebody being like and this is obviously why capitalism works <laughs> right <laughs> essentially what happened was someone looked at this a lot of people sorry looked at this experiment and looked at this idea and said 
wow, if we become overpopulated as humans, this is what's going to happen to us. And I was waiting the pervasive for that. argument was like, yes, but we're not mice. <laughs> you know what? If I know one thing about humans, it's that they're not mice. Is that we aren't mice. We're actually not. Is that true? We are not mice, but I do remember reading something about um, overpopulation, and it was a while back, like I was a kid. Yeah. But it, it did say basically that, like, if every human being were to spread out across the habitable parts of the planet right now, everyone would have something like like an acre and a half to themselves. Like, yeah. we have way more than enough room for, for all the people on the planet. Oh, yeah. But the way issue is that we don't live that way, right? Like, we don't evenly space out. We collect in cities, and there's yeah. really no, like, good... There's like no good incentive that exists right now to move people out of cities. That's where people want to live. Yeah. So like the jobs oh, yeah. and the resources are. So it just becomes like an issue of how do you either ethically and like responsibly continue to spread cities? In which yeah. case you get like freaky things like um, Houston, which is a city that just goes on and on and on for like an hour and a half. Sprawling nightmare. Yeah. Uh, which a lot of people don't like, understandably. Or how do you incentivize? And this is getting like slightly off topic, but like young people to leave cities and like I guess build up industry and resources in like less habit less populated areas to spread out like sort of the disgustingness of humans <laughs> across like the entire habitable planet to bring it back like that's your point like we're not mice so it's like we we do make decisions that are both like high level about not destroying each other although we do destroy each other but we also do make a lot of like weird arbitrary decisions like you can tell a human being and they can logically understand that like yes yeah, cities are over crowded uh, but they're still gonna want to live in a city over like sorry but like wyoming sorry wyoming right (laughs) more than four decades like you've just been saying more than four decades have passed since john calhoun conducted his universe 25 experiment and nonetheless questions still linger regarding the observations he drew from the rodents utopia collapse and most pressing as you've just mentioned is this question of the human population so studies suggest that the global population could top 9.6 billion by 2050 if we are staying on the current course that we're at. Gross. Continue. That trend arouses numerous concerns. Will mankind continue to thrive if the population trend arouses numerous concerns? What about disruptive technology whereby a new product or innovation renders whole fields obsolete or a task that once required multiple hands can now be completed with the press of button? If most jobs become outmoded by technology, what will sustain the economy? Will large cross-section of the population become destitute or will the billionaire class support everyone? Probably <laughs> fucking not. Probably not. Oh, Historically. Def- definitely the second one. Definitely <laughs> that one. I've, I put all put all my chips on it. Oh yeah, you're going to bet everything on that? Yeah, I mean, and it's going to return to me a billion. How will people function and interact with one another in a world where hardly anyone works? Can an individual develop interpersonal skills when there's no need to pursue working relationships in the outside world? At the very least, mice and men seem rather similar when John Calhoun's research is compared with modern-day civilization. And that's my topic. That's, that's so my dark. topic. Oh no. Leave oh it goodness. in. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out in the break. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, um, incredible topic. As some people in the patron chat said, really didn't do a lot to help the Sunday scaries that we're all experiencing. Uh, because it's very spooky. Uh, and it led me to think about some things that uh just generally scare me, which is kind of what will happen. How bad is economic inequality going to get before, like, I don't know, we either have a violent revolution or, like, a major structural shift?
shift happens, however that happens. Yeah, it scares me a lot. I thought it was a wonderful topic, as Chelsea said. I'm going to give 13 points because uh, 13 is an unlucky number, and I'm scared of these rats. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Are you cursing mice, them? But um, I'm sort of warning. The, the, the mice are warning us with their 25th universe, and so we should heed the warning. Well, I give you 13 smackaroonies. 13 stars. unlucky points. 13 I love that for unlucky me. Unlucky points. I spent uh, the last five minutes on my hands and knees holding my breath while Chip tried to push me over. So that was fun. <laughs> I don't have hiccups anymore, so that's a win for me. That's now incredible. That is a queen. All right, y'all. You ready to hear about the Montreal screw job? I've never been more ready. I'm uh, ready to hear about these giant screws. Okay, well, I'm gonna start as I often do with a question, which is <gasps> how much do either of you know? And I want you both to answer this about professional wrestling. Wrestling. Wrestling? Wrestling. Like you're talking like WWF. Excuse me? Like <laughs> like WWF wrestling, like where yeah. it's like a telenovela but we're jumping on each other it does sound like you don't know that it is now wwe but well yeah and it has been for a very long time fun fact i remember being told in like elementary school or whatever that it was changing from wwf to wwe because when i i don't know if it was why well, I, I very highly doubt it was like this where you went to school ellie maybe you colton but uh when i was in elementary school i'm talking like third fourth grade uh Every boy I knew was obsessed with wrestling. Like, yeah. boys. like this was like, I feel like the late 90s was really like a time. Like wrestling is obviously still like massively popular. But I think that the late like 90s. Yeah, we're kind of like The peak. Rock and like Triple yeah. H, and like all these people. And I don't, I don't remember whose thing it was. Or actually, I guess I haven't even independently verified that this is true. But basically, all the boys in my school would go around when there were no teachers around and they would cross their arms in front of their like crotch and they would go suck it and they said it was from wrestling and I hated it. Wow. What did that mean? What did I, suck it mean? Well, I think it meant suck my dick. I don't think that they knew that because well, no, they were I'm all sure. like eight. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess that much, but I mean, is that like, is that like a certain wrestler's like little catchphrase? Yeah, so what I'm saying is that, okay, well, well, here we go. So, uh, patron chat is in with the assist. It's immediate. It's, uh, and I don't 100% understand what this means, but it says, uh, um, um, Degeneration X, and it is from Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Everyone sure. is typing. We have, we clearly have some wrestling fans <laughs> in the chat. Welcome, Somebody, welcome. Oh, someone else said, "Yeah," and that suck it was done in like two weeks. Well, I want you to know it last in my memory. It lasted way longer than two weeks. They did it all the time, constantly. <laughs> I fucking hated it. So did like everybody else who wasn't them, and mm. uh, it it caused me to be like very anti wrestling, where I was like, "Oh, this is like dumb and like a gross thing." And I don't want to be involved with it until actually like very recently uh, there is and this is like so off topic I'm going to keep it very short there is a female wrestler named Becky Lynch who I just became like very peripherally aware of because people were talking about her on Twitter and I became so obsessed with her and her whole storyline and how cool she is that I started like getting very deep into like going down these like wrestler Twitter like WWE Twitter rabbit holes and I realized yeah. that like actually I think that wrestling is very interesting Interesting. <laughs> and my friend Nathan is like really into wrestling. And so he has been explaining some of these things to me. But I'm going to try to give like this really, really brief overview of how WWE works that is also 
coming from somebody who is a novice in these things and like has not been following them for a long time, but only to give you enough context to understand, I guess, sort of the gravity of the Montreal Screwjob, which is one of the most infamous events in wrestling history. Okay. The Montreal Screwjob is a wrestling event or a wrestling move? No, it's an incident. It does sound like a move. It's an incident. It's an incident. Let me put it in the kind of nerd terms that you'll understand. Please the Montreal do. Screwjob is the Red Wedding of WWE. <laughs> wow. Okay. So it there is. are people who are like, do you remember where you were when the Montreal screwjob? Absolutely. Job, um... Absolutely. It is still, it happened 24 years ago. It is still spoken about when they're setting up stories today. They'll be like, this is the worst thing that happened since the Montreal screw job. Like that no kind of thing. Way. Absolutely. Fucking huge deal. But like, let's talk a little bit about, I guess, like how this works and some of who some of the major players are, again, to contextualize. Because like, otherwise it'd be like trying to be like, yeah, you know, the Red Wedding when like this family killed this family and you'd be like I don't know who these people are so we have to have some backing context so Ellie you're right WWE World Wrestling Entertainment formerly WWF World Wrestling Federation I remember being told by those the suck it boys if you will that it was changing from (laughs) WWF to WWE to avoid some of the legalities around having an official sport and that they were changing the name to WWE to be to make it clear that it was entertainment and not a sport Sports, so that they wouldn't be beholden to like sport rules, <laughs> which was right. for some reason cool to these guys. Uh, like, and it's then all make believe. But through the course of researching this topic, uh, I found out that's not true, and it's that they lost a lawsuit to the World Wildlife Fund. That's <laughs> what I thought. Wow. So that's why they so changed their name. As a child, as a child, I had a duvet set from the World Wildlife Fund. That was like so. That's what I grew up knowing as like WWF. And then I was like, wait, what? This is wrestling. How? Can it be the same thing? This is confusing. And now we've come full circle. And well, we've come real circle. Now we've come oh real circle. God. We just yeah. witnessed the end of that arc for Ellie. That's that was just my beautiful. lifelong arc. As a 29-year-old woman, I was like, how is wrestling and also wildlife the same? I'm so glad I could bring you this closure. Thank you so much. I needed to know that fact. So WWE is, and for the most part, always has been like the dominant force in wrestling, broadcast national right. wrestling in the United States. Wrestling obviously wrestling has like a long and storied history from before it became like a big TV event right and a big part of it is kayfabe which is I think what you were describing uh, is the showmanship aspect so the thing that actually I find interesting about wrestling is that it's the combination of the two obviously you have to be athletic to be a wrestler like I don't think that I could simply just like get in a ring and do the things that they do you have to learn all these moves Chelsea cannot simply wrestle I cannot simply wrestle I mean I think, to be clear, I think that if I put my mind to it, I think I'd be fucking great at it. But I I don't know all the moves. You have to learn, like, all these complicated move sets. There's a lot of choreography. You'd be great with the showmanship. Yeah. But, okay, that's the other aspect of it, is that you also have to be a showman. You have to be able to put together a persona, a character. You stay in character. You act. You do these complicated storylines. It's basically a soap opera, as explained in the TV series Glow. So you have faces, which are the good guys and heels which are the bad guys and people constantly switch just like in um, soap operas where it's like
like, oh no, yeah. and you thought he was the good guy, but it turns out he was the uh. bad guy all along and he was working with so-and-so. Wrestling fans can like trace these storylines back for like generations, right? There's a lot of like multi-generational like wrestling families. Like The Rock, who's, you know, now one of the most famous people on the fucking planet. He was a wrestler before he transitioned into acting and he's the son of a wrestler. He was like a second generation wrestling no like personality. He had wrestling privilege, if you will. What the rock is cooking. Yeah, yeah. Every, that's what I'm saying. It's like it, it transcended just like wrestling fandom to be like a, a worldwide star. See, now here's the funny thing. I had no idea about his wrestling persona. And so then Miles was like, wait, what? And he made me watch a bunch of videos. And then I was like, what the hell is happening? And like, <laughs> do you smell what the rock is cooking was like new to me after him as a movie legend. That's wow. incredible that to me. That's incredible to me. Do you smell what the rock is cooking is second to suck it in wrestling things <laughs> that were shouted near me when I was a child. First, third generation wrestler in WWE. Wow. Right. Right. Third generation. So his dad and his granddad was a wrestler? His granddaddy was a wrestler. It was a wrestler. The other thing that I find so fascinating about wrestling that honestly is the thing that I want to learn more about and also I think TMTMTM would make an incredible like like scripted show is that if you want to be a wrestler on WWE you don't simply like get cast I mean I guess you kind of do but what happens is you're wrestling as an amateur somebody thinks you're interesting and you go into a development stable they literally have like these like like campuses where like if you're picked you go live and you work every day with all the other like like, in development wrestlers yeah like TikTok house but like wrestler house and they like come up with like your like name and your thing like you'll come in and you'll be like yeah so my thing is like yeah my thing is like I'm Ellie the Brit I'm a face (gasps) you know I'm really my thing is like I'm really strong and then they're like no 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 now you are um, Penelope and your whole thing is you ride a bike and you're like Uh, oh okay this is me now I'm Penelope and I've got a bicycle yeah like like they put together your thing your whole like thing and your storyline your backstory your persona and your moveset it's like Sky High or My Hero Academia in like real life I think that's hilarious I love this I love that it's incredible it's probably really terrible and toxic, but I, I love it. Historically, people's personas, like wrestling personas, sometimes had like really like racist and sexist tropes. Like that would often be a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, again, this TV series Glow, which is based on a real like women's wrestling syndicate in the 80s, you know, they tackle this a lot where they like black wrestlers would have to play into racist like tropes queen. about being like, well, yeah. yeah, the welfare queen as a heel or like playing into like uh, ideas of like, you know, like a, a scary African warrior or something like that. Asian wrestlers would have to like play into like maybe like a ninja trope. There have been quite a few Middle Eastern like terrorist wrestler vibes kind of gross. Women, you know, definitely were and to an extent like still are like kind of relegated to like sort of sexy roles. But that has really changed. And actually like, that's something that I find really interesting about WWE is that it, it does seem to be one place where male and female fans, like fans of all genders also appreciate wrestlers of all genders and not just like like, oh, they're super hot or whatever. Like, like again, like Becky Lynch is like a lot of people's favorite wrestler and it doesn't have to do with like her sex appeal. It has to do with what a fantastic like athlete and showman she is. Uh, And you don't see that, like, you know, people still make fun of like the WNBA and stuff. So like you don't see that in a lot of other like sports. You don't see that kind of parody. I don't think it's perfect in WWE either, but it is really interesting. There are a lot of people who say that the way that like development works in the WWE is toxic in terms of like, I mean, similar, I think to a lot of things we've talked about on the show about 
about like basically anything where you're offering somebody like fame and fortune there's a lot of opportunity for exploitation because there's a lot of people that want that so you know whenever one person tries to stand up for themselves and say hey I won't do this I find it degrading or you're not paying me enough money or I have no benefits or whatever there's going to be five other people who will just say yes and it yeah that kind of situation will always skew towards toxic uh so again like it's neither pro nor anti it is just like this is how it is the last thing that you need to know about wrestling in order to understand what happened with the montreal screw job is to know who vince mcmahon is oh i remember right because i called him vince mcmahon and then you're like sweetie Wait, who called him? You called him to- Me, I did. I did an episode where he was like involved. Oh, God, I yeah. I forget what we were talking about, but I called him Vince McMahon and then you're like, sweetheart, it's, it's Vince McMahon. And I was like, well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> All right, so Colton, what do you know about Vince McMahon slash man? Um, Vince McMahon <laughs> is, as I understand, he is like the president of the WWE and, uh, and he is also like, I mean, he's also like a character. He also has like persona and it's sort of like, you know, I know he goes, out and he like fights in a business suit he's got a really famous meme um that i find very funny the one where he's like freaking out at stuff yes he is the ceo of wwe he has overseen it for decades and yes to me and i think this is so fucking funny because he's like a little he's like a little dweeb uh but like he's he's very dweeby to me to my eye I love the idea of him being like, I'm a businessman. I run the WWE, but also I think I should get in there. Uh, everybody loves all these people. And I think I should also be part of it. And also me such as. At least that makes sense. I mean, it's not like, I mean, God, heaven forbid, like president of the United States tried to be like WWE, you know. That sounds oh, weird. That. I don't get that. Yeah. You know that Trump did like he has, yes. he's been on there. He's been was, on there. I was, I was hoping r- I could tease something He's wrestled. Yeah. He's wrestled. Vince McMahon, by most people's testimony and all also the testimony of the story I'm about to tell is not a very nice person. There are several like sure. rape and sexual assault allegations against him from like yeah. women associated with the WWE. There are also a lot of stories, including the one I'm about to tell of him not treating his talent very nicely. But he is in the sense that, and this is again, like one of the things that I think is really fascinating about wrestling. So wrestling is a show. It has scripted storylines. Yeah. Everybody knows that there are scripted storylines. Everybody knows that the storylines are scripted. <laughs> Therefore, they have also become incredibly meta where there are storylines lines about coming up with the scripts for the storylines. Oh god. Which is where like Vince McMahon's persona comes in. I'm just going to completely make something up and people I'm sure are going to get really mad about it, but it's like this is all like filmed and scripted, right? The Rock comes into Vince McMahon's office and he's like, "I'm The Rock and I don't want to fight Triple H." And then Vince McMahon all scripted is like, "You're gonna fight him or I'll fire you." <laughs> and then The Rock's like, "What am I gonna do?" And oh, like no. they'll make like that part of the story. Okay. So now we've learned a lot of things. And let's go back <laughs> to 1997. I'm so sorry. Can we take a little pause here? Um, Gone out. One of our one of our loyal patron chats has said, <laughs> you can find dozens of story of him being absolutely insane. For instance, he hates sneezing because he considers it, considers it a sign of weakness. That if you can't control your body, <laughs> it's like you're lame. And he will go into a rage if he sneezes. You know, one time I was at a Walgreens because I was because it's a pharmacy and I was sick and I was getting cough medicine and I was in the aisle and I sneezed and I did like the vampire you know sneezing in my elbow and this was pre-COVID yeah. this was like 
2016 or something. Uh, and I sneezed into my elbow and a woman that was like, not close to me, but like on the other side of the aisle went disgusting. And I was like, <laughs> what do you want me to do? I am at a pharmacy. This is a place, lady, like this is a place where you get sick medicine. I did my best. And I did lady. my best. And that's what, and that's I'm what like, you're um, supposed to do is sneeze into the crook of your arm. Yeah. That's like President Obama said that. He was like, you know, you want to sneeze right there. And I was like, yeah, because it makes sense. Yeah. So. Let's talk about the Montreal screw job. One of the okay. most infamous incidents in wrestling. So I'm excited. <laughs> It's 1997. Hi, Mamba. Thanks for being a part of this. Um, Mamba's in his crazy mood. It's 1997. WWF is still the dominant force in wrestling. However, there's a new kid on the block. It's called WCW. WCW was up and coming and they had like a slightly different vibe. So like WWF was really focusing on these storylines, this like big narratives, complicated friends versus foes type stuff. WCW was really focusing on like a more of like a Southern wrestling vibe where <laughs> okay. it was like much more about athletics and like the actual like move sets and stuff like that. So there were quite a few fans at that time that felt like WWF had become so obsessed with like these complicated stories that it had just become like a TV show, right? Because right. The, the pay-per-view events made so much money that mm-hmm. the wrestling was getting lost. And so WCW, <laughs> WCW was like, hey, we got you. Come hang out with us. And WWF, it was working. WWF was losing money. And WCW was poaching big talent from WWF. And this would also then be worked into storylines. In 1996, WCW tried to poach one of WWF's biggest stars, and his name was Bret Hart. And he also went by Hitman. (laughs) Sure. As you do. He was a legacy wrestler, came from a big wrestling family. His brother, Owen Hart, also a wrestler. He would do a tag team with his brother-in-law. He was beloved, and he had been part of the WWF for, like, decades at this point. Uh, So, like, imagine there's, like, a big, like, established name in wrestling. A lot of prestige. Multiple titles. Mm -hmm. So WCW obviously wanted him, and they were willing to pay. And in 1996, they offered him $8.4 million to leave WWF and come over. But he said no, because Vince McMahon said, if you stay with me, I will give you, and this was absolutely unprecedented at the time, I will give you a 20-year deal with WWF. Which at this point, like, Bret Hart, not a young guy, he's basically saying, I will take care of you for the rest of your career. 20-year deal would make him the highest paid wrestler in history. And, And that he would have a role in the company after he retired from wrestling so that he could like transition into helping run the business of WWF. So this was a huge deal. And Bret Hart said yes. He was like, yeah, I'm happy here. That sounds great. I want to be taken care of. I want to see everything succeed. Well, that was 1996. By 1997, Vince McMahon... Just uh, one year into his 20-year deal. Just one year into his 20-year deal, Vince McMahon (laughs) is like, oh, we are continuing to lose money. And actually... And this is like... I mean, God, this like, it feels fucking Shakespearean, right? So Vince McMahon is still like losing a lot of money and a lot of viewers to WCW. So in 1997, he and all of his like people are discussing like, what do we do? And they decide that the issue is that they're 
ref- they're relying too heavily on these like legacy wrestlers like Bret Hart that these men in their like you know 30s and 40s are not gonna bring in I guess like the suck it boys of my of my youth <laughs> and that they yeah. need to focus on developing like a new roster of like hot young talent that's like edgy I mean it's just like it's basically the story of like everything like this is also like the pilot sure. of that show Nashville it's just like we don't want the old guard anymore we, we need, need something we need new, new and boys. fresh so at this point Vince McMahon at this is God it must have really hurt he tells Brett Michaels you should reopen negotiations with WCW he basically says despite what I said just one year ago uh, and despite the 20 year deal that we have signed actually I've changed my mind big time I've actually out. I've actually changed my mind and I think that you should I think that you should see what they would offer and WCW was like come to mama I will give you <laughs> buku yum, money yum, yum delicious yum delicious we would love it yeah and Bret Hart was like well yeah it sounds like Vince McMahon is like no longer he doesn't believe in me anymore he doesn't think that I matter he doesn't have like a Mc- vision for me he pronounced McMahon yeah Vince McMahon I'm so sorry uh, <laughs> so in November of 1997 he signs a deal with WCW it's for three million dollars a year so better than even the one that they had offered him before which was eight wow. million for three years now it's three million a year and this is announced and Bret Hart's final appearance with WWF is going to be the championship match with Shawn Michaels and mm-hmm. this is important because Bret Hart at this time is the current WWF championship have you ever seen those big like wild belts that like big wrestlers wear yeah. those giant yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. like He's glittery got belts belt. they're incredible these big like glittery belts so he has the current belt and this is a huge problem for Vince McMahon okay and let me tell you why and again this is very Game of Thrones so two years earlier there was a very famous uh, woman wrestler Alondra Blaze aka Medusa Maselli who left WWF for WCW and she Mm -hmm. was the current WWF women's champion at the time that she left much the same as Bret Hart was the current WWF champion and when she made her first appearance on WCW she threw her belt in a trash can <gasps> on TV. Yeah. So she yes. basically like, she was like, fuck WWF. It's stupid. I'm with the cool kids now and threw her belt in a trash can. And as you might imagine from a lot of the context clues we've given, this fucking infuriated Vince McMahon. <laughs> I can see that Vince McMahon would not be pleased about that. You don't want to be at the party that's, that is lame, right? Like right. you want to yeah. be at the cool party that everybody thinks is cool. And so yeah. at this point in time, WCW is the cool party and WWF is increasingly feeling like the lame party and the absolute last thing in the world Vince McMahon wants to happen is for his current champion <laughs> Bret Hart to pull an Alondra Blaze when he moves yeah, to WCW. Oof. So yeah. they have this last match and like I said it's between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and these two people don't like each other. Right. Definitely on script but reportedly outside of like kayfabe as well. They have like had a bunch of fights. They're rivals in the ring but Bret Michaels doesn't like the way that Sean Hart, uh, sorry, Brett Michaels is a singer. <laughs> Brett Hart does not like the yeah, way that Sean. I was I was confused for a minute there. <laughs> no, it's really difficult for me because I'm like, 
because I love Brett Michaels because he did all the Rock of Love shows on VH1. <laughs> uh, and the names are too close. Brett Hart, the wrestler, not Brett Michaels, the singer, does not like the way that Shawn Michaels conducts himself. He thinks he's shady. He thinks he sucks. They've gotten yeah. in a bunch of fights on and off screen. I will say some people think that even like that was kayfabe. When do you get to reality? Who actually likes who? Who's friends? Who's to so say? That's, that's what I was going to say is that the wild thing about kayfabe, and I'm again, I'm by no means an expert, just an enthusiast, especially I think for legacy wrestlers like Bret Hart, is that it is really difficult to tell that like yeah. your commitment to kayfabe reaches a level that's almost mystical where you believe in its <laughs> importance. It's it's your duty as a wrestler to make this believable yeah. for the audience. And sometimes that, that evolves into almost like a method acting where it is yeah. sometimes really unclear. So like in researching this event, this incident, there are some people who still believe that the, the entire screw job was kayfabe. Uh, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it was not, that this did happen in the way that it seems like it happened, but it's not entirely clear. So it does seem though that they really don't like each other. They also have like this like America versus Canada thing that like has really mm-hmm. been, um, you know, built up and hyped up in all the storylines. Supposedly Goodness. the kind of final straw that really made it an issue is that according to Bret Hart, he spoke to Michaels and said, I think we need to like air our grievances. I don't want to like leave like on like bad terms with anybody. And I would even lose to you if Vince McMahon requested it. And Michael's response was like, cool, I would. And Hart was like, oh, fuck you, dude. And then that's when, and that's when Bret Hart went to Vince McMahon and said, I'm not losing to this guy. I'm leaving with my belt. Because, yeah. And Vince McMahon was like, oh. And so supposedly there was a two hour meeting that happened between Vince McMahon and several of the other higher ups, like his inner circle at like a Marriott right before the match. Yeah. And then a bunch of people left looking very uncomfortable. Nobody knows exactly. <laughs> nobody, oh nobody, gosh. but nobody was in the room where it happened. Nobody knows exactly <laughs> what was said in that meeting, but people left looking very uncomfortable. This buildup is like getting me so hot. I, I texted one of my friends from Atlanta who's super into professional wrestling. He's like uh, in his 40s. But I, I texted yeah. him. I said, "Have I'm assuming you've heard of the Montreal screw job. And he just wrote back. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> definitely. I was watching live when it happened. Okay. So, so as you can imagine, Bret Hart at this point, like veteran wrestler, knew that like Vince McMahon might try to fuck with him and do a screw sure. job, which is a wrestling term for when you think that you, the wrestler, think that one outcome is going to happen because, like I said, like all these things are scripted. The matches yeah. are scripted. Sorry, spoiler alert. When you think one thing's going to happen and something else happens, that's a screw job because wrestlers should always be in on what wrestlers should always be in on the choreography. If for no other Surely reason, then it would make you really unsafe. Deal. Yeah, huge right. fucking deal. It's all scripted mostly, I mean, for the storylines, but also for the safety of the wrestlers because they are doing these big moves and it's very physical and they're doing high, you know, close contact with other people. So it needs to all be scripted. Yeah. A screw job is when you go against a script and a, uh, a wrestler doesn't know. Fucks. But Fucks Bret Hart felt that there wouldn't be a screw job mostly because he really trusted the referee that was going to be refereeing this match, whose name was Earl Hebner. There are differing claims about what the referee knew about the screw job. The referee himself, Earl Hebner, he claims that he didn't know about it until 10 minutes before the match. Shawn Michaels claims he told him like the day before. So the, again, we don't know because it's every, this is 
is all just like everyone's version of events and they're all different. It's like a crime and you're like trying to put it together. Yeah. So a bunch of people warned Bret Hart, like I wouldn't trust, like don't trust Vince. He's not trustworthy and he's in like a scared position. Bret Hart was like, I trust Earl Hebner. I don't think that he would, he would, he would put me in a screw job. So they plan out the whole match. They choreograph it. They rehearse it. And it's supposed to go like this. Hart was going to put Michaels in like a hold, like, you know, hold him down. Michaels would submit to the hold. And so technically that would mean that like Hart would win, but the referee was supposed to be unconscious, like, you know, playing unconscious. So therefore the referee wouldn't be available to count the hold and declare Hart the winner. So then Hart would go try to revive the referee, but then Michaels would then get up and pin Hart. And then a second referee would run into the ring and start the count. But then Hart's friends would come in and save him because oh that wasn't fair. Oh, I know. It's, it's always like this. So then Hart's friends would run in. Hart's friends and his brother would run in and save him from this pin. And then the original referee would wake up and start the count. And then Hart would get out. And then they would all get in this huge fight and it would result in a disqualification. And then no one would win. And that was what yeah. was presented to Bret Hart and to that everybody else. That was what else. he thought was going to happen. That's what he thought was going to happen. That is okay. not what happened. <laughs> I'm imagining so. Oh, my goodness. So the match goes off the way it's mostly supposed to. Hebner, the referee, is pretending to be unconscious. Right. Michaels puts Hart in the pin. And then, and this is a thing that a lot of wrestling fans point out, Michaels then glances at Hebner. And everybody believes that that is confirmation that Hebner was in on it. And that he didn't just find out 10 minutes before and freak out. Okay. So he glances at Hebner. Hebner gets up. Then Michaels was supposed to basically, you know, as part of the choreography, he's supposed to offer his leg to Bret Hart so that Bret Hart could break the hold. Take my leg. To simply yeah. take my leg. But he didn't. And instead, and I mean, just like imagine. So instead of doing the choreography where he gives him his leg and Bret Hart breaks the hold, he bears down and he holds him tighter. So that now Bret Hart really truly can't get up even if he wanted to, which is not supposed to happen. Oh, no. Oh, no. The referee gets to his feet, looks towards the timekeeper and screams, ring the bell, which is what you do to end the match. Then nothing happens because everybody's freaked out because this is not the way the match is supposed to go. Then McMahon, who's on the sidelines, is standing next to the timekeeper, elbows him and yells, ring the fucking bell. And so then just as Hart reaches forward to grab Michael's leg and breaks the hold right at that exact moment as Michael's is falling to the mat, the timekeeper rings the bell and the match is over and Michaels has won. Oh, <gasps> oh no. Shit. Yes. So Really? Yes. And then there's just like this moment of absolute confusion where Michaels theme music plays, the announcer declares him the winner. <gasps> Hebner, the referee, just straight up runs out of the ring and like leaves the <laughs> arena. <laughs> I'm done. The Goodbye. commentators that are, you know, describing this live on television who had in front of them an entirely different script, they just say, what happened? And then there's like this moment of shock. And then Hart gets to his feet, approaches where McMahon is standing on the sidelines and spits in his face. <gasps> oh, no yeah, Michaels, meanwhile, is just standing there and like giving his best like, what happened face. Oh, yeah. I'm just a little baby. Uh, and then McMahon screams at him from the sidelines, pick up the damn belt and get the hell out of here. Uh, so, <laughs> and then at this point, they cut the broadcast signal. What? And that's it. Oh my God. Uh, Holy shit. So he was yeah. just like, nah, dude. No. Uh, so Bret Hart figures out that like this has happened, that this is just happening. 
happened that it's real, that he has been screwed and he's lost his belt, that also that the broadcast has been cut. So he turns to the fans and he traces out the letters WCW and and then he says, I love you. And then he goes backstage and everyone loses their fucking mind. There's basically a riot. There's a riot both like in the audience and like with all the wrestlers backstage because like the way these matches work, you know, like this was like the title match. So it's at the end, but there were like a ton of matches before that. So there are a ton of like professional wrestlers. So it's like all these professional wrestlers just saw their boss absolutely fuck his biggest talent on national television. And they're all furious and people are like screaming at each other backstage. There's like about to be like several fights breaking out. Uh, Vince McMahon locks himself. Yeah. Vince McMahon locks himself in his office like a little baby (laughs) until uh, until several agents um, include and then one professional wrestler known as The Undertaker go to Vince McMahon's office and basically say you have got to go to apologize to Hart like you, <sighs> this man this man is like a multi-generational wrestler and you still have his family members in this stable you have got to go make this right like what you've done is so incredibly wrong and unprofessional so Vince McMahon goes down to Bret Hart's stable no manger. stable <laughs> to a stable where he lives. It's like no. dressing room or something. Dressing room. Office? Thank you. I was like, House. what's that fucking term? Okay. He goes to his breast. He goes to his dressing room, and Bret Hart is sh- taking a shower, and he's basically ta- like, all this feels like a fucking movie. He goes in there, yeah. and he's like, hey, like I had to do it. I'm so sorry. I, you would never have like, you know, you never would have agreed to give your belt, but like I, I can't have you going to WCW, um, and you know, and fucking this up for me. And Bret Hart basically says, if you're still here by the time I get out of the shower, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. Uh, and Vince McMahon does not take that very reasonable warning. And when Bret Hart gets out, uh, by all accounts, by both accounts, um, an altercation He's... ensues in which oh, sure. Bret Hart says that he gave Vince McMahon an undercut so powerful that it knocked him off of his feet. Yes. Vince McMahon says that Bret Hart sucker punched him in the eye. What we do know is that after Vince McMahon left Bret Hart's dressing room, he did, after, in like the days that followed, had a black eye and was seen limping so it's oh shit yeah he had a sprained ankle his oppens did come yeah it pretty immediately damn so as you can imagine things stayed pretty rough between bret hart and wwe slash wwf for a very long time he including him like refusing to be inducted into the wwe hall of fame until about like 2000 i think it was like 2009 like 2006 2009 era WCW folded eventually. It just like never quite yeah. made it to the level of WWE. WWE ended up buying WCW and then Bret Hart was back in Vince McMahon's world. Uh, oh, supposedly God. they put their differences aside. Bret Hart was eventually inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, and is now a retired wrestler. But it is still to this day one of the most infamous moments in wrestling. Again, like I said, the Red Wedding of wrestling. Uh, Everyone also, knows where they were when they saw around. it. And also... And I know this is going to sound like a real, like, sort of, like, burying the lead, but I think, like, I think it was the next year, Bret Hart's brother died while oh, doing, God. on a live broadcast, while doing a stunt that went wrong. Um, oh, no. On oh, a live yeah. broadcast? On live broadcast. And that sounds like a whole other topic. Right. It's a whole other topic, but I guess what I was going to say was, like, Bret, like, the Hart family has a lot of reasons to fucking hate Vince McMahon, because they fucked over Bret Hart's legacy, and they were part of what killed 
Owen Hart. Do you remember Lady Gaga's uh, Super Bowl halftime where she like jumps into the arena? Yeah. So they he was doing something like that where he was going to be lowered like a hundred feet uh, into the ring, and the idea was that he would lower to about like six or seven feet above the ring, and then there was going to be this like easy release like trigger that he would trigger and he would fall the last like oh, you know no. eight feet and land on his face, and it was supposed to be like a big comedic moment, right? Is that he was going to have like this really cool entrance, oh, no. and then at the last <laughs> second he was going to fall, and it was going to be really <gasps> funny. Wait, did uh, he fool for real? Yeah, but they no! nobody, to this moment nobody knows what happened truly. But the best guess is that he was uncomfortable in the harness, like something wasn't feeling right. And in trying to like make himself more comfortable, he accidentally triggered the early release. But he was not like six feet in the air; he was seventy-eight feet in the air, oh, and he fell oh seventy-eight God. feet into the ring in front of the entire audience. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, and died. Oh my God, that's terrible. So it's real fucked up. Is that how you're ending your topic? <laughs> well, you also ended yours in a really dark way. So. No, no, I'm not judging you. I'm like loving it. But yeah, it. that is how I'm ending it. Because like, there's like, there's no real resolution. Like everybody has given their version of events. They more or less correlate to like who knew and who didn't know. Bret Hart yeah. was understandably angry about it for a really long time. He did eventually he come back be. into the fold. But yeah, like uh, WWE has taken a lot from that family. <laughs> oh no. Jeez. I, I just saw that he, his brother Owen was the only, it was like, I guess his only like family member who like didn't leave WWE with Bret. And then he Aww. dies a year later. That's fucked um, up. Jeez. If I got to give points to this, goodness. Well, okay. So er- early on, I have to admit, you you brought up elementary sort of squoys, um, who <laughs> I was I was not friends with <laughs> in elementary school. So that didn't okay. bring back the best memories. Just boys um, in general. <laughs> Just boys in general. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was not friends with boys for a long time. Me, I'm not friends with boys, actually. Dude, same. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't a fan of that. Um, but then, and, the, and you're also bringing back to like all this stuff. It's like, oh my God, wrestling. Something I did not give two shits about when I was young. And <laughs> right. everyone around, you know, I grew up in, and you know, isn't it I, I fascinating to learn about? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in like Redneck Central. Everyone loved it. Um, I didn't give a shit. But now here I am hearing this story. I'm like, this is the kind of thing that would have got me into wrestling. Like if I, I had can seen see this. Oh, totally. This was the best sell on wrestling I ever got. And like, I, I bet nothing this dramatic like happens on that on the reg but like that would have like that would have blown my world up if i was into (laughs) wrestling and i saw i feel because because just hearing this story it kind of blew my world up like that shit was that that's that's pretty nuts to me i'm giving chelsea a sweet 16 oh Oh my god I love that. Yeah, this shit was crazy. Um, Com, can I give you five points just being you? Oh, I love that. Thank you. That's so very much. sweet. Uh, I will say, if you do like that, you should um, you should look into like Becky Lynch and her whole thing. Because, and I don't want to get too long into this, but like the thing that I like about her story, what like I'm interested in is that like they basically scripted a heel turn for her, like she was a face, and then they were like, no, now you're gonna be a bad guy. And basically, it's an instance in which just the entire audience was like no we don't accept Mm-mm. it no nope. we know we know what you're trying to do we see this storyline and actually we say right. no and we, we will 
not be, and we will not be doing like, this. We see through the theater of it, and we say no. We actually say no, and like it's it one of the few times that like sort of like that like kind of like unspoken contract between the audience and the um and the wrestlers was like broken, where they were like, "Hey, uh, we don't want we we say no, we don't want this." Actually, I love that it's a no actually from us. It's a no from us. So, <laughs> um, I promise you, Chelsea. I promise you, by next week, I will have a score total. I promise. Will you though? I've said that for a long time. I know. I know. Ouch. But I will. And I will. And I promise that. Colton, thanks for being a surprise guest. I love that. Oh no, that was fun. I won't. I promise. Well, I won't always like crash these. Uh, don't promise. But, uh, don't but, promise that. Don't oh, promise don't that. Promise well, that. Well, how dare you promise that. that? Well, then we'll see. I do have. I think I've been formulating recently. I got a little story. I think I can tell. <gasps> topic. Oh I my love God. that. I, do. I love to hear it. And it would be very me. <sighs> I don't know if it'd be conventionally what in every regard. But I don't care. I'd have I a lot of fun it. telling it. I want to hear it. And that if you, if you have fun, we'll have fun. All right. Hell yeah. It's Chelsea, true. where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internet. Yeah. People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold. And you can find me at Ellie Maney on Instagram and Ellie Maine on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod. I mean, at this point, pretty much wherever internets are sold, if I may borrow the language from my good best friend. Hell yeah. And this week, I don't know, maybe go learn something. Hey, Colton. Yeah, what up? Oh, I'm mixing it up yeah uh, i'm gonna need you to keep it loose keep it tight say your prayers at night or vince mcmahon will come get you and you'll have to punch him to get him out of your room oh my god oh my god